Today, we are continuing our series in Philippians. We're almost done. The plan is we're going to be done at the end of this year. Amen? Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) And so we're uh, continuing on, and I just wanted to give a little bit of context first about what's going on, because it kind of really relates to the, the passage we're doing today. And so a little bit about the context. Uh, Paul is in prison, right? And he's writing a letter to the Philippians. And it's a letter that's actually full of thankfulness and gratitude. Of course, there's, there's wisdom and encouragement that goes along with it. But the Philippians and Paul, they kind of had a special relationship. Their relationship kind of stood out a little. They were, just a little bit about their relationship, they were in communication and mutual care between each other, and it was something that was done regularly. Paul says he had been praying for them earnestly. The Philippians stood by Paul. There were times when no one supported Paul, none of the other churches, but Paul, but the Philippians were one of the only churches during the season that actually supported him, sent him finances. And we know that the, the response the, the, of, in the letter that was written was of what just happened, which is he's in prison, and then the Philippians sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to go to minister to Paul. But really, in, in order to help Paul's financial need, someone needs to bring that, right? You can't just, what are you, you can't just pay me. <laughs> so Epaphroditus brought this financial need and himself to help Paul. And so Paul's letter to the Philippians was, a big part of it was just a big thank you letter to the Philippians. And we see this in our verse today. So let's you know, turn to the screen. The verse for today is Philippians 4, verses 10 to 11. Philippians 4, 10 to 11. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I am in. Let me read that one more time. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I feel like there should be an in, but it's okay. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we just give thanks for this morning. Just wonderful worship today. And we could do it together as a community, as a family, Lord. And uh, yes, Lord, we just want to offer you this time. Would you speak to us? really receive the wisdom that Paul communicated to the Philippians, that we would receive that same wisdom and heart for ourselves, for our church, Lord. And would you help us, would you help me, Lord, to just share your word, your truth, and your heart, and that would, it would touch us and transform us. It would give us direction and guidance today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So these two verses we just read, They talk a lot about Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And so the title of my message today is Doing Relationships Well. And today I have four points on how we are to do relationships well. And it's all from these two verses. So let's start at the beginning. So in Philippians 4, verse 10, the, the first part, it says, can we have it on the screen? And I highlighted, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Notice Paul's response to the Philippians' concern. He's so expressive, right? If you really look at it, he could just say, oh, thanks. That's cool. Just acknowledge. It says he rejoiced. In other words, he was filled with joy. And it says He was so filled and greatly, very 
expressive, kind of unexpected when you think of Paul, right, who's so satisfied, so content with everything. You think you'd just be even keel, yet he is so expressive, so grateful. And we've talked about the importance of gratitude. You know, we've covered, we've talked about offense. We've, We've talked about when you're anxious, when you're sad, when you're stressed, when you're down. What's the antidote? It's being grateful, right? We recognize when you're grateful, it changes your perspective, the way you view your, your, your circumstances. And overall, it's just good for your mental well-being, right? But, but here's something that seems so obvious, but oftentimes is overlooked when we're talking about gratitude, We need to express that gratitude to other people. We need to express it. It's not just a mental well-being. We need to express that gratitude. And so that brings me to my first point for doing relationships well. Number one, we need to express our gratitude. Paul was always expressing his gratitude. Every single church, every letter he wrote, he expressed that gratitude. Romans 1.8. He wrote to the Roman church, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you. Ephesians 1.16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And so, yes, gratitude brings positivity into your mental well-being and, your, and in your relationships, but when you express it to one another... It brings blessing. And sometimes we forget that, right? If you're in a relationship for a long time, whether it be your parents, your spouse, when's the last time you really expressed gratitude? Not just expressed it, but like Paul, super expressive, so filled with joy. What do you think Paul's expression of his gratitude did for the Philippians? It brought them joy. They were, I'm sure, they went through all this trouble to send Epaphroditus, who almost died, send all these finances, and when they found out that Paul was so happy and filled with joy, I'm sure they were. And the response, I'm sure, hopefully, is, oh, I can't wait till the next time. I can't wait till next time. Expressing our gratitude to one another is very relational. In house church, we love to eat. We love it. So much so that as soon as our official start time, which is 7.15, it doesn't matter who's there, we start eating. And then we take pictures of the food, and then people are on their way, and they're like super FOMO, and like, I'm I'm coming. (laughs) I can't believe I'm missing this. We love it. And so it's become this opportunity for us to really serve one another, and we want people to enjoy the food. So we have one member, uh, Michelle. She does announcements sometimes. And she goes, he t- she took it to the next, how do you say it, the next level. So what she did is she discovered this, this Mexican restaurant. It's called Happy Taco. And so the place doesn't deliver. And so she lives in Yulong. She brings a trolley, a really cool trolley, to work. And then from work, it's in Saiwan Hall, and then she goes to Quarry Bay, and she packs all the food because they don't deliver. And then she brings her trolley from Quarry Bay all the way to Elements for us. And of course, when it came, like, we're like, What? <laughs> You hand carry this from where? From Quarry Bay. And we're like, oh my gosh. And we're so grateful. Like, thank you, Michelle. You're, we're like, so much love. So much love. And on top of that, the food was really good. We were like, this is so good. This is is the best. I I told her, this is the best meal. It's one of the best meals we've had. And she was so happy. She was so happy. You know what? 
She did it two more times. <laughs> and it wasn't even her turn. One time she was like, oh, I just feel so blessed. Can I, can I take care of food? I want to do happy taco. And then I think it was two weeks ago, she's like, oh, happy taco is about to close. So I wanted to, uh, I just want to bless the house church and do it again. She did it three times. And then yesterday, she messaged me, oh, now that Happy Taco is gone, I, I, I found this, like, really good Pakistani food. It's supposed to be amazing. It's in Jordan. But they don't deliver. <laughs> it's like she's looking for places that don't deliver. <laughs> but why does she keep doing that? It's because of our gratitude. If we're like, oh, it's okay. Right? It's relational. I mean, and this is kind of a silly one. But I was like, oh, I just remember this. It was impactful. You know, whenever uh, we visit people's homes, uh, we make it a point to bring something. And I always want to bring something yummy, right? And so I went to, it was, we visited Tracy's home, and we, I brought snacks, and we've been a few times, did a few times. And then Tracy told me one time, oh, you know, whenever you come, the kids are so excited. I'm like, huh, how come? He's like, because you bring the best snacks. And I was like, really? I was so happy. And as a result, the next time we went, I felt this pressure. I had to bring something good. Now let me say this. It wasn't because I'm seeking their approval. I mean, just to be clear, Wes and Lucas, they're like seven and five. It wasn't to seek their approval like, oh, now I need to please them and seek their affirmation. It wasn't like that, obviously. <laughs> but there was something about when they expressed their joy to me, it made me super happy. And that's important. That's why, you know, we, we do what we do to, to bless each other. Hopefully, it's a response, and it continues the relationship. So, again, point one is... Don't just have an attitude of gratitude, but express it. Express that gratitude to each other, right? I'm speaking to myself and everyone. Call your parents. <laughs> express your gratitude th to them. Even though you're not in the same city, maybe there hasn't been an opportunity to really, but express it. Now continue on. Let's, let's look at Philippians 4.10 again. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Paul is just stating what he's feeling and what he's observing, which is he's super, kind of already covered it, he's so happy. He's rejoicing. And when he says, at last you've revived your concern for me, concern for me it's been a while, at last, he says. So it's been a long time, but now he sees, oh, now you've, You've been able to express what you're feeling towards me and it's concern. And this is just Paul being his authentic self, right? He's just expressing what he's feeling. But then what's interesting is Paul goes on to make two more statements to kind of explain himself. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? This is a reflection of Paul's maturity, right? He, he doesn't want the Philippians to misunderstand his authenticity. He's just being real. He's sharing what he's sharing, but he's able to discern, like, if I just say things like this, and even though that's what I sincerely mean, it could be taken in the wrong way. And so that brings me to my second point for doing relationships well, we need to be authentic and discerning. Authentic and discerning. In any relationship, I think we know how important it is to be authentic, right? You know, the Bible speaks against hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, everyone, we don't like it, right? When we see someone who's being hypocritical or say something in other words, they say something, but their actions don't reflect it. They say something, but mean another thing. And when we see that, we don't like it because we think that person's so fake. 
They're not trustworthy. How can we believe what they're saying or trust them? And we know that in order to do, to do relationship, like you can only do it with people who are authentic and genuine. Because if they're not, what are you building on? You're building a relationship with a fake person, right? And so it's so important, authenticity, that we be real and so we can have genuine relationship. But I want to say to you, being authentic is not the end all. It's not just about being authentic. In addition to being authentic, we have to be discerning. We have to be aware how our words, when we communicate, even if it's the truth, how the other person is going to take it. And then we need to adjust the way we communicate. An immature Christian just speaks the truth, right? Just speaks the truth. It doesn't matter how people take it, as long as they're just speaking the truth. Take it or leave it. I'm just being real. And so their motivation is just, I got to be true to myself. That's an immature Christian. And I want to say, being authentic is the starting point. But a mature Christian, so I want to say, being authentic, level one. Level two and growth is the discernment. A mature Christian speaks the truth, but cares how the truth is taken. And thus is discerning how they communicate and respond so that the truth would be well received. What is the the motivation? It's love. You want to be honest, you want to be true, but it's so important to you that the truth be well received and communicated. Let me ask you, maybe not to everyone, but are you somebody who often feels misunderstood? Like, man, people always misunderstand my intentions and what I'm trying to share. Are you feel, are someone who always feels misunderstood? Well, maybe it's not only that people are bad at understanding. Maybe you can grow in the area of having discernment so that you're aware and can communicate in such a way that what your intentions are are well received. This is especially when you're in offense or in a fight right? You're trying to communicate and they receive it totally differently, right? Maybe because we got to grow in this discernment. And when I'm talking about discernment, what is that? It's awareness. It's like heightened sensitivity. It's like spider sense awareness, right? You're so aware. And I want to say this is hard. This is hard work. And thus, this is why it's something we grow in. We have to learn. Discernment is our awareness. This means we need to listen We need to read body language and facial expressions. We need to be aware of how our words are going to be received. We need to listen, and even as people speak to us, we need to read between the lines, because sometimes even people who share with us what they're feeling aren't aware of what they're really feeling. And so you got, they just, they're just upset. And so you got to read between the lines. All that is happening to train up your discernment and maturity. And so just to recap, again, my second point is we need to be authentic and discerning to do relationships well. But again, I mentioned Paul was mature. He was able to discern. And so let's look, what was it that Paul was discerning? So let's go back again. The first discernment that Paul had about what he wrote is he wrote, now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Let me, and so this is, if you didn't know, this is a letter that is written. This is old school WhatsApp message. And so obviously we've experienced the misunderstandings that can happen through just a text message. And so can you leave that up there? Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Now let me read that a little differently, in a different tone. And I'll add a few words of embellishment. 
Now, at last, it's been forever that finally, finally, you've revived your concern for me. Do you get that feeling? The meaning is a little bit different. Paul is able to discern how his words could be misunderstood. When he says that there's this long period, and that's true. It's the truth, right? He's not, being, he's not lying. That's how he feels. It's been a really long time. But he could see when he says that, it could be read, it could be misunderstood as, you guys didn't care about me. You've never cared about me. Look how long it's been until right now when you finally, after what seems like forever, now you show your concern about me. And so what does Paul do? He addresses it in his next statement. In Philippians 4.10b, he says, Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And so Paul makes it clear. He is not questioning the Philippians' concern for him. Right? In fact, he says, I acknowledge you've always been concerning. You've always loved and thought of me. I'm sure you've been praying. I'm, I'm adding a little bit more. You've been praying for me, and, and, I, and you've, you've been, I've been on your mind. But the reason you haven't really been able to express it is because there hasn't been an opportunity. And now that there's an opportunity, I'm in prison, and I have these living needs. You've come to express that. And so I want to bring, that's my third point for doing relationships well. Just as Paul commended the Philippians in being to seize, I guess, make the most of this opportunity and show the concern, my third point is, like the Philippians, we need to seize the opportunity. Seize the opportunity. There was a lack of opportunity. And then when that came, the Philippians See that, seized that opportunity. And we can see that not just in this situation, but also in the Acts Church. You know, when the Acts Church first started, people were, were meeting daily, eating together, worshiping together, praying together. And it says in Acts 2.45, it says, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. If there was a need, that was the opportunity. And so as a community, as a family, they made the most of that opportunity and stepped in and helped each other. And you know, SP, our house churches are really, we call it house church because it's modeled after the Acts church. You know, and in house church, you know, we talk about this is our community. These are the people we walk with. We're a family and we're a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a family. But house church is where you really experience it. And so all this talk about family, what happens when there's a need? Hopefully, that's the opportunity to show we're family. I got your back. You know, it's not just whether it be emotional, going through a difficult time, but also financial. If someone is struggling in their finances, we step in because we're family. We got to make the most of that opportunity. You know, I was talking to um, a brother a long, long time ago, and um, they were kind of struggling with doing, just having friends and doing relationships. And I kind of asked them, who's your closest friend? Who's your best friend? And they mentioned... I'm going to use that name. Uh, let's say Michael. Michael is my best friend. And I said, oh, oh, I know Michael. He was just in the hospital because of this, for this, something happened like, uh, I don't know, like appendix. His appendix burst. He was in the hospital. Did you go see him? And he's like, no. And I go, how come? He's like, oh, I, I don't know. And I, and I said to him, listen, if he's your really good friend, you should have gone to see him in the hospital because he was going through a difficult time. He's bored out his mind in the hospital. It's kind of a reflection of your relationship, right? At that point, 
you should have went and visited. There was this opportunity, and you need to take it. That's why I'm also kind of, you know, the, this idea of a uh, Dutch? Like, you know, when you're eating and everyone goes Dutch. That kind of, I don't know where that term came from. <laughs> but what it means is everyone just takes care of their own bill. And so when you're done, easy, right? It's clear. No misunderstandings of how things are split and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's clean. And I guess that's what you would do, especially if you were uh, like blind date or first online dating. If you date, you want to ideally go Dutch so that there's no strings attached. But a lot of times when you eat with your friends, you also go Dutch, right? You just, oh, let's just split it. And it's convenient. It's easy. It's clean. But you know what? I kind of don't like it too because it's not relational, right? I'm not saying let's fight over the bill. <laughs> I, I don't really love that process either because I'm like, what, what is really going, what, what's the authentic thing that's happening? <laughs> I don't know what, do you want to or, or not? But I think there's something relational that happens when someone treats. Because an opportunity opens up, which is, hopefully, next time the other party treats. And it's not out of obligation, right? It's not like, oh, tit for tat, you did this for me. Actually, what it does is we got to engage in relationship again. Right? You were blessed, and, and, and this is the relationship. You blessed me, and I'm so touched by that. It's an opportunity. I want to respond. And so you can see, when there's a need and there's an opportunity, just like the Philippians, when there is a need from Paul, we need to seize that opportunity. Okay? Now, remember I said Paul... He, he didn't want any misunderstandings, and there were two statements he made. So the first one was regarding this idea that he understood that the concern was always there, but there was no opportunity to show it. Now here's the second statement that Paul made, and this is Paul's discernment. So Paul writes at, at, in the verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. What exactly is Paul rejoicing of? It's the concern that the Philippians expressed. What was that concern? How did they express it? In Philippians 4.18, Paul writes, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so I kind of mentioned this at the context, right? What did, they, what, what did the Philippians do? They basically sent Epaphroditus to bring money. And so when Paul is so happy, he's rejoicing so greatly, Paul is able to discern how his words could be misunderstood. What is it that would be misunderstood? Paul loves the money. He's all about the money. He's all about that bling bling. And that's why he's so happy. It's kind of like someone wins the lottery. Ah! Or you're at Macau, I don't know, and you win your hand and ah! And so Paul got this money. He's rejoicing. And he understands. He's so discerning. He's so wise. He's like, people are going to misunderstand. If I just say, I'm so happy, I'm rejoicing so greatly, people are going to misunderstand. And so what does Paul write? Philippians 4.11. He writes, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul clarifies, it's not about the money. Money comes and goes, and it's not money that brings him contentment. His contentment comes from Jesus and it's regardless of circumstances. Now, I want to highlight one more thing from Philippians 4.11. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned, I want to highlight the word learned, to be content in whatever circumstance I am. He learned to be content. 
In other, in other words, this was not something that came naturally to Paul. He had to learn it. And how do you learn to be content in whatever circumstance? This is a little bit scary. How you learn to be content in, in any circumstance is when things don't work out. When things don't work out well and things are just bad. You know, uh, two weeks ago, we, we went through that verse, do not be anxious about anything and everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Make your request to know God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then maybe you shared in house church, like, what are those circumstances? Let me tell you, when things work out, that's not transcends all understanding, right? You want a job, and you get a job. That, that's not transcending all understanding. That makes perfect sense and understanding. You want to, you're stressed, and you're, you're, you're stressed about your exams, and you study, and you pray, and then you pass. That's not transcends all understanding. You know what transcends all their understanding is? It's you fail. You don't get that promotion. The dreams you had, the expectations you had did not work out. And yet, you're content. And so it's a tough lesson to learn and you can only learn it when you're in that situation. And I know, I just want to make it clear. I talked about seizing the opportunity and I meant with your earthly relationships, right, if there's a need. But I want to say when you're at your darkest times, when things aren't working out, that's an opportunity in your relationship with God. It's at that moment. You can either work harder, rely on your own strength, and if things work out, what did you learn? You learn, if I work hard, it's going to work out. But if things don't work out in that moment, if you just go to God and just surrender yourself to Him, it's an opportunity where you can experience that contentment that Paul's talked about in all circumstances. And so that kind of brings me to my final point for doing, relations, in, for doing relationships well is we need to be content in Jesus. We need to be content in Jesus. Why is it so important to be content in Jesus? in all circumstances. Because all of us have this desire to be content. Remember Pastor Sam talked about the, what's it, PVP, prayer behind the prayer. Like if you really go back, we just want to be content, right? But if you don't find that contentment in Jesus, you're going to look for it elsewhere, whether intentionally or not. And that's going to happen. Why is it so important to be content in the context of relationships? Because if you don't find that in Jesus, you're going to look for that in another person. Spoiler. Spoiler work. No person can feel that contentment. Not your spouse. Not your parents. Not your children. Not your pastor. Not your house church leader. Not your friends. They can be a blessing to you. And I don't want to undermine relationships, but no human being can bring the contentment that only God can bring. And so when you expect that of somebody, what happens? You're going to be disappointed. You're going to experience all this offense because they constantly don't meet your expectations. Only God, our creator, can do that for us. What if, what if Paul didn't find that contentment in Jesus? in any circumstance, then maybe the misunderstandings that we read would actually be fulfilled, right? 
He's like, you haven't done anything for me. You haven't even been praying for me. You haven't spent any time. He couldn't give benefit of the doubt because he's looking for that affirmation. But instead, he found his contentment in Jesus. So it's very different. I'm going to invite the, the worship team up. I'll close with this example of how being content in Jesus really changes the way you do relationship. So this is, how long has it been now? 11, 12 years ago, I was engaged uh, to my wife. And during our engagement, I had like a, a, a proper sit down with my mother-in-law, like, ta- like sitting at a table one-on-one. And it was basically, she was interrogating me. <laughs> and Janie was translating <laughs> for us because she speaks Korean, I don't speak Korean. And one of the things that came up was, okay, so what are your, what's your future plans? I want you to give a five-year and a 10-year uh, plan. Write it down and, and bring it to me. So I have peace about how you're going to take care of my uh, daughter financially. It's not unreasonable, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> now that I'm a parent, it's not unreasonable. But at that time, I was like, what? And Janie just translated this. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess that's what they want. And at that time, uh, I, you know, recent, I just started working. Uh, I studied multimedia arts, so kind of design. I was working at an electronic company doing their in-house design and I was, you know I agreed to do that like give them the plan kind of hard to refuse something like no right so I was coming up with the plan and you know just okay like I'm, I'm right now starting off as a diner I'm going to work my way up and then someday I'll be I, I forgot even the term like the design CEO <laughs> I don't know like the design head I'll be run the department. That's my five, ten-year plan. But I hated doing it because that's not how my relationship with God worked, right? In fact, at that point in my journey with Christ, I, I came to Christ when I was 24. Like, He had just led me. Everything I had planned or everything I didn't even know how to plan, God lit the way, each step of the way, and he was so faithful. I was experiencing something so full, and it was just so weird for me to now I'm going to make my own plans. And so I went before the Lord, and it was this struggle, right? Am I going to be authentic to God, or am I going to fake it to impress my mother-in-law? And so this was a huge struggle. And I was, it, was, it was all in my head. And finally, I came to a point with God. I was like, you've been so faithful to me. I'm not going to deviate. You've led me faithfully all this way. Why would I now make my own plans? And so here's the crazy thing. I went worst case scenario with God. Well, which is, well, I'm going to basically tell Janie and her mom, sorry, this five-year, ten-year plan that you want, can't give it to you. And so if the engagement is off, it's off. I know, it's so dramatic, right? But I went to, it was a real test for me to find where was my contentment. And so I went before the Lord, and as I went to Him, I got that contentment. I don't know. It seems so simple, but at the time, it was able to touch me, which was, hey, if I break up with Janie, of course I want to be with her, but if I break up with her, you know, there's someone that's better in store for me. (laughs) Let me finish. But there's someone who's better in store for her. And so even in the worst case scenario, I was like, content. Because God was in control. God, 
was in my life. I was never going to be alone. And I trusted, even though I would be miserable for sure, I would be sad, but yet I knew God was good. I knew he, he had something in store for me. And so how did discontentment affect my relationship? It's because when I finally talked to Janie, you know, before that happened, there was, there was all this anger. It was like, Janie doesn't accept me for who I am, right? I thought she's a Christian, but she just loves money as well. She's so fake. She's a hypocrite. <laughs> like all these thoughts. Had I not dealt with it, I would have gone into that conversation with that type of attitude right? Maybe not even vulnerable, just like, you're so fake, you and your mom, right? Probably, you can see, it wouldn't have gone well. But I went into that conversation, no malice, no anger, just wanted to share what my conviction was. And I said to Janie, hey, Janie, um, I know that you asked for this uh, five, ten-year plan, but I want you to know, I can't do it, because you know, this is how it's been with God and he's been so faithful. And I want to continue this being faithful to God and how he's been faithful in me. So this five-year, 10-year plan, I can't give it to you. And she said, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? I thought you had to get this. I was like, oh, no, no, that was just my mom. I was just translating. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And so resolved, right? The point is not things worked out well because I found that contentment beforehand and I think that helped in this situation. It was so resolved that actually Janie didn't even know this was an issue because I was already so content and over it, right? I didn't feel a need to let her know. It wasn't until I think like our third or fourth year of marriage, I let her know this actually happened and in my head, we almost broke up, (laughs) And so just to, just to recap, doing relationship well, four points. Number one is we need to express our gratitude. Number two is we need to be authentic and discerning. Number three is we need to seize the opportunity when there's a need in our relationships. We need to seize it. And number four, the most important is we need to find our contentment in Jesus first and foremost. Without number four, one, two, three is going to be done with the wrong motivation and the wrong heart. So as Cardia leads us, make use of this moment. It's also an opportunity. I, I don't think we can do an altar call up, but let's do the altar call wherever you're at. It's between you and the Lord. If there's things that you're struggling with, offer to the Lord. And let me say, this is the key. You know, it says, in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. You know what thanksgiving does? It helps us to surrender. Because when we thank God, we're thanking God for who He is. You are good. You're in control. I feel miserable, but you don't want me to be miserable. And so we bring that thanksgiving, but really what it helps us to do is we need to surrender truly surrender not worst case scenario surrender where fine (laughs) if that's what you want I'll do it begrudgingly no surrender is okay if that's what you want I'm still going to be so content it might not be what I want but I trust you Lord that's true contentment And so let's go before the Lord let's offer him our gratitude, but really surrender and let the Lord minister to you. Paul talks about that surpassing knowledge of knowing God. It's about knowing God. I just pray that right now as as we worship, as we go before the Lord, that surpassing knowledge of knowing God would come, that peace of God that transcends all understanding would guard your heart in, in Christ Jesus. Like Paul, you would find that contentment in Jesus in all circumstances. Let's just go before the Lord.
this attitude of prayer we're going to take the lord's supper and so if you haven't had a chance to uh, pick up the communion yet could you just raise your hand and the ushers can hand uh, a communion to you and if you've ever doubted the goodness of god and the circumstances of your life are starting to define who you think god is 
just look to the cross. This is why Jesus instructs us to do this in remembrance of him. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. <clears throat> For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat his bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For, who, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So the Bible says for us to do it with a clean heart. In other words, take a look at what's going on. Are you about to do it with the right motivation? And so let's just make sure we do it with the right motives. Let's take some time to reflect on why we're doing this. It's about the cross. It's about the resurrection. It's about our creation. It's about our encounter with God while we were sinners. Let's, take, let's just take some time together. Jesus, Lord, we give thanks and we recognize what you did on the cross for us, your willingness to do and experience what you did. We're so grateful. It, it touches us to the core that you would do that for us while we were sinners. Before we even did anything, you would do for that for us. And then you resurrected to show that you are God, you are capable, you are able. And so, Lord, we don't want to take this for granted. And even as we do this, it's a response to your goodness and your character, Lord. So let's take this together. Let's open up the elements. So this is Christ's body broken for you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Let's take it together. Let's rise to our feet. Let's respond in worship.
so grateful for what you did on the cross for us, Lord. And if we ever have doubt, if we ever just look to our circumstances to let it define who you are, let us just look to the cross. May your cross be so evident and magnified in our lives that we would be so sure of your goodness that would cause us in every circumstance whether it be good or bad especially in those tough times where we see no way out we would run to you Lord we would be able to know you and know your heart and your thoughts and your feelings for us and knowing that would just transcend everything Lord, we would have such trust and certainty in you, Lord, not in our circumstances, not in people, not our finances, Lord, but we would have our complete trust in you. And we would learn, we would mature just as Paul does. And we would seize those opportunities. In our relationships, seize those opportunities with you, Lord. And that's how we'll grow. That's how we'll mature, Lord. It's actually through the tough times, Lord. And, but we thank God. We thank you that during those tough times, we can learn. We can turn to you and not just buckle down, buckle down. And rely on our own strength and hope that things will just magically work out. But we have you, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom from this day forward. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.